What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Kyle Thumb, and this is the Solar Growth Podcast. And today, our podcast is brought to you by my company, which is solarboom.io. Everything that your solar business needs to go boom. If you have any interest in marketing or other resources that can help solar sales pros, make sure to check out solarboom.io. And now, let's get on with the show. What's up, boys and girls? This is Kyle Thumb with cleanenergymarketing.com. This is the Solar Growth Podcast number 17. Today, I talked to Abraham Venegas, and it was an awesome conversation. This guy is a rock star. He crushes it in California. He crushes it in Texas. He crushes it online. He crushes it in person. And I think the thing that impressed me most about him is he's very... Um, he's very assured of his systems and he knows that they work. And every single question that I, I threw at him, he really had a very thoughtful and uh, answer ready. And he's an extremely confident guy with a wealth of knowledge. And I'm excited to share this chat with you um, about his journey on the solar coaster. So without any further ado, this is Solar Growth Podcast number 17 with Abraham Venegas. Good. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kyle Thumb on the Solar Growth Podcast today. I'm talking to Abraham Venegas. He is a solar rep who's crushing it in Texas. He has experience in California, um, and he has been recommended by several people as having a wealth of knowledge. Um, so, Abraham, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Well, we, we were talking a little bit um, before I started recording about your, your background, and um, you have had experience in the solar industry for, for how many years now? Uh, going on six, seven years. Okay, six, seven years. So in, in the solar industry, I feel like that's like ages because I think a lot of people have jumped into the industry in the last like two or three. Um, but you, you have experience in both California and Texas. Can you just tell us, like give us a little bit of a brief overview of your, your background in solar? Sure. Um, so like many of us, I kind of stumbled upon solar. It was insane, something that was in my radar. I just happened an opportunity where the current team I was with in Austin was expanding to California to start a solar campaign. And I was fresh out of college. So I was like, sure, I don't know what solar is, but everybody says California is great. So I jumped on that bandwagon. Um, quickly fell in love with the industry. So kind of had a passion for it, more so on the math side. The math just made sense, especially in California. When we had just gotten there in 2014, um, our market PG&E, they had just settled a, a lawsuit for one of the explosions in uh, I think San Bernardino, which was that following month, they added like a 14% rate increase to all the utility, uh, all the customers in PG&E. So it was, it was a very easy selling point. Hey, they got penalized, but they're passing those rates on to you. Um, year later goes by and California was not my cup of tea. So I decided to come back home. And I just kind of, because California is such a mature market, I had a really stacked resume when I came to Texas back in 2015. So that's kind of where I got started. Uh, it was originally all door-to-door, door-to-door um, marketing. I'd never done it before, but I quickly found a pretty good skill set, um, just kind of having a conversation with people. And that's really where, where it is. I mean, I've, I've sold in every major market in Texas for the last five years, Austin, San Antonio, uh, Houston, Dallas, Rio Grande Valley, Laredo. The only market I haven't sold in in Texas is El Paso. So I'm kind of a unique breed in that sense. Interesting. El Paso is actually one that I, um, 
because I'm a marketing guy and I ran a, a couple of campaigns in El Paso just testing the market and it was a uh, it, it wasn't friendly like it was the worst Texas market I ever experimented with so uh, based on my very limited experience you may have dodged a bullet with that one but that you you have experience in a lot a lot of my favorite markets so um, you one of the things I love is that obviously California and Texas are, are completely different animals and what that means is you have to craft your your sales pitch and your approach and your offer a little bit differently in those different markets can you can you tell us a little bit about the contrast that you've seen and how you had to adjust when you move from one market to the other oh absolutely i mean when we moved to california the tier one pricing for customers at that time was 15 cents per kilowatt hour after 300 kilowatt hours it jumped to 19 cents so for us in California, it was all about the upfront savings. Hey, we're going to bring your rate from you know an average of twenty cents down to an average of sixteen cents, and we're going to protect you from the utility. And the utility did us the favor of playing the bad guy because they constantly increased the rate. So that was a conversation. Unlike Texas, where the problem is not not so much the utility pricing. If you'll notice, we have pricing anywhere from seven cents a kilowatt hour up to 15 cents a kilowatt hour, depending on the utility in Texas. So it's very, very hard to sell on savings. And our rates don't increase as volatile as California. But what I found is Texans have that pride of being independent, producing their own power, you know, planning for the future. So it is more of, hey, you may not be saving money up front. You actually may be paying more to go solar. But here's what it's going to do for you in the long run. Here's how it's going to protect your family if something were to go wrong. Here's how you're going to be energy independent. And people love that. Yeah, and I think especially right now, I think there's a lot of people that are realizing that they want to be independent if something ever goes wrong or like that. And I think even little things like solar might be more attractive um, in situations like we're currently in. So. Have you da- have you dabbled in any other markets besides those two? Not really. Um, so I'm I'm very familiar with the majority of the markets in the country. Um, very familiar with what's happening in California, what's happening in South Carolina. So I'm familiar with the markets, but I've never personally sold out there. Um, right now, I, I don't I don't really need to because there's just so much territory to play with in Texas. I mean, logistically speaking to get from South Texas to North Texas is about a 12 hour drive to kind of give you an idea of how much territory there is to play with. So I don't think I'll be running out of territory in Texas anytime soon. And it has the benefit that Austin has a lake I get to play with all my days off. Yeah, no, it's Austin's, I've heard many great things and I'm aware, uh, obviously Texas is one of my favorite markets. I have um, clients in several of those different markets and it's just, it's it's great because there's a lot of people there's a lot of different cities there i mean there's a lot of space then it's there's and it's also a little bit it's less saturated than california because obviously solar is a little bit newer there and that's always something that makes it really great um do you have any other like selling points or any other when you are focused on selling to someone who doesn't necessarily see the upfront savings because i feel like that's something that a lot of new reps when they first come to solar, that like that's something that attracts them. Because like you said, when you look at the numbers, it's a no-brainer. I, I think it takes a little bit more skill and practice to be able to figure out how to sell it when it maybe doesn't make as much like sense up front. Do you have any other like uh, approaches or any other strategies that you use to kind of 
close the deal if they're not saving money immediately? Sure thing. I mean, so my background, I went to college to be uh, to be a doctor. I mean, I got into med school, but I decided to not to go. So a lot of my approach is that consultative way. Um, I approach everything with, I'm going to make recommendations. If you decide to take it, great. If you don't, no big deal. I'm just here to provide information. Uh, and that is my approach. And a lot of the references I, I used, it, it is kind of like preventative medicine. When is the best time to take action for diabetes before you have diabetes, of course, right? When's the best time to, you know, take care of yourself before heart disease? Well, before heart, you get heart disease. So solar is that, that preventative measure for a lot of people. Hey guys, your rates not be, may not be expensive today, but in, we understand that the same bag of Cheetos I used to buy for 50 cents at the grocery store now costs a dollar, right? So your electric rates are not expensive right now but the power lines that you had installed 40 years ago eventually are going to need to get replaced and do you think they're going to take those profits out of their their cost of course not they're going to sprinkle it into your utility bill so and people understand that yeah things get more expensive we're playing the, the the future game we're hedging against future energy costs and that is a big value to them and especially with the coastal cities like houston corpus christi and now even south texas I mean, we have hurricane season. So my hometown just got devastated by Hurricane Hannah. And I have my Facebook feed of, we haven't had power for over 36 hours. Well, great. If you had solar with a Tesla Powerwall or a Generac, you, you would be one of those few homeowners that had power. But the unfortunate thing is the knowledge isn't there. You know, being able to talk to them that, hey, yes, it's going to cost you an extra 20 bucks a month but how valuable is that 20 bucks a month to have power during, you know, a hurricane? Yeah. It's almost like, um, insurance in a way where, I mean, if there ever was a hurricane as well, that, I mean, a, a super big one power could be out for days or maybe even longer. If you think about the worst case scenarios and having that once again, goes back to independence. Um, very cool. So you've been solar industry seven years. Uh, you started out in sales. How, you, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people that have come and gone in the different organizations that you or the, the organizations that you've worked with. Um, what, what do you think is some of the like most important characteristics or mindsets of the people that are successful in solar? Um, as far as you know, an organizational sense or what makes a successful rep? Let's say let's say a rep. Um, one of the things I've found that accelerates the growth in a sales rep and and how they get to hit the ground running is they have to be a student of their craft. They have to have that student mentality. So I've found the people that actually ask the most questions and they're hungry for the knowledge end up being significantly more successful than the reps that just go in, get their, their binder full of information and they try to apply it in the field. What I found is the people that are just that annoying rep, Hey, can I, can I sit down with you for an extra 15 minutes? What do you say when this happens? or how do you overcome this objection after the meeting is, is said and done, those are the individuals that I see are significantly more uh, successful. Um, one of the biggest three things that I look for when I'm recruiting is uh, a positive attitude because I can't teach somebody, you know, to have a good attitude. Uh, that's something that's just their nature. Uh, number two is that student mentality. I can't, I can have a plethora of resources for them to play with, 
but if they're not utilizing them, then it's, it's kind of not doing us any service. And the third one is pretty much a, a good work ethic, right? I can't teach somebody to work hard. So that's, those are the three characteristics I look for. Everything else I can teach, right? I can teach how solar works. I can teach the utilities. I can teach the financing, but I can't really teach somebody to work hard. Interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the, the fact that I think I've, a lot of the most successful companies that I've been, that I've worked with have had that same similar um, mindset where as long as you come to with an open mind and a growth mindset, they're willing to teach you the details that you need to succeed. And that's like something when I'm hiring, even for uh, call center or virtual assistants or anything, it's something that I, I look for people that are, are hungry for knowledge, but they just kind of have a uh, more, it's more attitude focused because you can always teach them the finer details. That's um, really great. Uh, what about, what, what, what kind of training or advice would you give to someone who's about to knock their first door? So I guess when I started knocking doors, I had the benefit of the doubt that I had terrible memory. Like that is one of my biggest assets is when I knock a door and I have an angry customer, it's not that I, you know, just I'm actively putting it in the back of my mind. It's I literally forget what happened. I have terrible memory. Um, so when I tell somebody, Hey, you're, you're going to knock your first door. I want you to make as many mistakes as possible because we actually end up learning a lot more from our mistakes than our successes. So I tell people fail forward. You're going to learn what not to do. And that, that quote of, um, I forgot who, who invented the light bulb when they asked him, Hey, how did you feel when you failed making a light bulb? A thousand times over. No, I didn't fail. I just found out a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. That's exactly what I tell my reps. Guys, you're not going to be good at this upfront, but what you're going to find out quickly is what not to do, which is going to strengthen your pitch over and over. And just like everything, right? Nobody magically gets good at basketball because they're athletic or whatever the case may be. They have to put in the hours and you have to get your reps in, right? you only get good at free throws if you practice your free throws and there's only so much that you can do in the classroom. You've got to make that practical application in the field. You can be the best person, you know, practice pitching in the office, but that absolutely has very little transition to how you practice pitch in the field. So I just tell people, Hey, just go out there and do it. And then from your experiences, you will build a better, stronger pitch, but don't take it personally. Uh, it's that, it's that, um, what is it? 80, 20 rule. Um, 80% of the people are going to be super indifferent about the conversation. 10 people are just going to absolutely hate you no matter what. And then 10% are going to be absolutely loving that they're having a conversation regardless of what that conversation is about. So you want to focus on the people that enjoy the conversation and the people that are indifferent. 10% of the people are just going to be buttholes. Just move on. It's just people's nature. Go on to the next one. I, I have not failed 10,000 times. I found 10,000 ways that don't work by Thomas Edison. So Thomas Edison invented light bulb. One of my favorite quotes. And I, I think it's yep. super, because it goes back to what you were talking about, what, what you look for in people is people that have that growth mindset. Um, and it, it reminds me of uh, sports, actually. Like, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you follow sports or do you have any favorite sports? I do. I'm a, even though I'm a, I live in Texas, 
Uh, I'm a Lakers fan, and then I'm a oh uh, boy, Saints we fan. just we just lost like a, a bunch of viewers right there. Oh man, uh, I will tell people... you right now, <laughs> I, I am one of the only people that was very anti-LeBron James coming to the Lakers. I think they gave up too much for him, but I, I, I grew up a Kobe fan, so that's that's what made me a Lakers fan. See, what was interesting was I grew up a. Uh, when I was like young, young lad, I was a Lakers fan, and I'm from California, so that's that was kind of like my market. And then, but I was I was a Shaq fan. And then when Kobe and Shaq had their falling out, I was like, I really didn't like Kobe. Um, but one of the things that you love about Kobe is the reason. One of the reasons that he is an all-time great, and one of the reasons that like Michael Jordan is all-time great, is because they had both. They had that skill, but they also had the work ethic. And one of the things that I look at is I, I, I'm always more impressed with people that have the work ethic. And I'm, I'm a hockey fan myself. And I think hockey is a great example because there's a lot of players in hockey that they don't have the skill, but they bring it every single night. And you see the people that have the skill and they're obviously the most paid and they're the, they get the most points, but they don't necessarily – uh, they they aren't the workhorses that that it takes to succeed. And the, the other guys, the the no name third liners in hockey or even like in basketball, there's a lot of bench warmers out there that are they they work their ass off. They're there at practice every day. They're coaching. They're doing everything they can to help, and they don't necessarily get the credit. But those are the type of guys that I look to as kind of like role models because they they have the work ethic and they've made it to the top even if they're not in that top one percent. Um, yeah. That's interesting. One of one of those examples I'll, I'll say about the Lakers is Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram wasn't a star player in the Lakers, and then magically he's an all-star the following year he gets traded because they put him into that starting role. And, hey, you, you be the leader in this team, and he flourished. So some people are just a product of their environment, and that's what I also see from a lot of organizations across, across the board, especially in solar. Um, just even the culture can play a lot in the development of a rep and culture in our industry is how people, you know, like the vivid solars of the world, the legacy powers, they have amazing culture. So their reps do above average sales. So one thing is skill set, the other skill set of the environment they're in. Do you think that, Lonzo Ball is an example of the opposite, where maybe he's not as he has all the talents in the world, but he hasn't been able to put in the time to figure it out. Or, or do you think it's just do you think his time is still coming? I think I mean I would still put him as a top point guard in the uh, in the I guess the NBA world, but he hasn't I guess put in that work ethic because early on in his career you saw that everything that was tied to Lonzo Ball was his dad, right? So a lot of the conversation was his dad, his family, and it wasn't about his athleticism. It wasn't about him. So I think that overshadowed what he was doing as a player. Um, so I, I still think that, again, I am not a fan of Lonzo Ball whatsoever, but I am a fan of his, of what he does on the court. So I do still feel that he, he is a high caliber point guard for sure. All right. So I, I asked this question to someone else uh, a few weeks back. And I don't remember who it was, but we were talking about basketball again. And so my question for you is, say uh, this coronavirus pandemic, it, it it never ends and the, the NBA is shattered and the bubble doesn't work out. Uh, all these NBA players are, are looking for jobs and you have to hire one of them to knock doors. Which player would you hire to knock doors for you? Mm, that's a good question. Um, 
just from the pure work ethic standpoint, I would hire Damian Lillard. But on the conversation piece, Chris Paul. Chris Paul has that personality, and, and man, I think he would talk talk somebody's ear off just to get the sale. I think, yeah, Chris Paul for sure. Yeah, that's that's. I, I think those are both good choices, and I see what you're talking about in both of them. Uh, it's funny to think about, um, and I, I wonder, it, I wonder which one would be more successful. I think Chris Paul would be awesome. I mean, those State Farm commercials and are, are gold. He he's a, a likable enough guy when he's on camera, and he's uh, he's he's charming and witty and he's smart. I think you're right. I think he would be able to have a conversation with anybody. Damian Lillard would be like the opposite though. He would be like knocking on the door. Do you guys have any interest in this? No. Okay. Next house. I'm like running, like sprinting down the block, trying to get as many appointments as possible in a day. Uh, that's funny. Exactly. Um. So. What I want, so you, you started off seven years ago. You started off door knocking, right? But obviously, I'm sure you've kind of alluded to it. And obviously, uh, since then, you've probably experimented with online marketing and working with online leads. Is, is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your, your experience with that? Yeah. So we I didn't start into the online leads thing until about two years ago. Uh, the company I was working for, um, 100% of their model was purchasing leads and sending closers in, which I had zero experience in. So that's when I first started dabbling in like, okay, this, this actually online lead generation is taking off. Um, and it works. It effectively works. Now, I would be one of the people that I usually tell everyone, I am not tech savvy whatsoever. So it's very difficult for me to understand that, that side of it, the marketing side of it. That's just not my forte. But you know, from just learning and applying it, you know, trial and error left and right, I've gotten familiar with the industry. And that's something that we, we do 50% of our business as online lead generation and 50% of our business is door-to-door marketing. And I feel like uh, diversifying your lead flow is really important. So again, I will never say I'm an expert in the online marketing. I still don't understand it to this day, um, but I am familiar with it. Awesome. So you're, you're an expert on online marketing. Um, so <laughs> let's, let me ask you, what is the, uh, and to be honest, I mean, there, there's people out there that claim to be experts that probably know even less than you. So it's not, um, it's, it's not necessarily something to knock yourself again. And I'm a, I'm a great believer and anyone who's listened to episodes of this knows that I'm, I, I think it's super important for people to always focus on what they're best at. And so if you're a sales guy, if you're a closer, focus on closing, find someone who's going to be better than you at marketing and help have them market for you. Like that's just kind of, that's the way my business is built. That's the way that my model is built. And I think that's something that is super important because you I would rather be an expert at one thing than to be average at a bunch of things, you know, and uh, very cool. So what is the best thing about online leads and what is the worst thing about online leads? So the best thing that about online leads, I would say is diversifying your market, right? So the really cool thing about the online marketing piece is I can take this one Facebook ad and apply it in a different city that potentially I don't have any footprint in. I never knocked it. I never have any installs and it quickly accelerates my adoption into that market. Let's say I get a sale or two in that city. Well, now if I can go deploy my door-to-door marketing team into that 
one or two installs, then that delivers a couple more installs, right? So I think the deployment of, you know, geotargeting different markets, that's what I really love about it. If I wanted to go into South Carolina, the easiest way for me to get into South Carolina is to do online lead generation, get a couple of my closers in a couple easy sales, and then deploy a door-to-door marketing team to essentially leverage those installs. So I really like that of, I can just take this online lead generation, put it in a different geotag, and then it and adopts that market a whole lot faster than it would on the door-to-door game. Awesome. And that's gold too about leveraging your current install. So tell me about how, how do you train and how do you recommend that people leverage their current install? So can you give us just like a little bit of rundown of all the things that you do for that? So one of the reasons I get a ton of referrals is because I show up when I tell my customers are gonna, I'm going to show up. I tell them I'm going to show up for their sale and then I'm going to show up for their install. And simply just going in there and say, hey, how was your experience? They're like, man, it, it, this, this was a little hiccup that we had, but you were able to answer our questions. Or, you know, just standing outside and seeing all those nosy neighbors drive around the block like, hey, what is the Smith family doing? How could they afford solar? Well, okay, cool. When I knock that neighborhood, they're like, oh, yeah, I did see the, those trucks roll up. Hey, great. Here's what we're doing. Uh, we're just scheduling appointments to see what other homes qualify in this area. If you'd be interested, all of our services come paid for. We just kind of give you a look into how much power you can save with this program. And that all of the installs are just social proof. And especially in markets that are, uh, I guess, this is a little bit more important, I would say personally, in the Hispanic community, if I, they don't know a brother, cousin, coworker or neighbor that's done solar, it's very hard for them to be convinced that solar works. Um, so that social proof really helps. And by doing it in the same neighborhood, well, after you get two or three installs, it's going to be very hard for the neighbors to choose another installer. If you have multiple installs in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Like you said, it's marketers think of social proof like reviews and testimonials and things online and but it's also social proof is like you said uh, the physical world the in in the real life neighborhoods where if you have four homes in a row that have solar that fifth home is gonna be thinking asking themselves deep down why don't i have solar and it's just a powerful tool that uh, you can use and leverage and i think it's great that you mentioned that because i think it's one of the easiest um aspects to, to get new deals that a lot of people um, ignore because a lot of people want what's easy they don't they want online they, they think online is going to be this glorious world where they never have to knock another door again and i, I think you can you you want to do both but if you are knocking doors you want to make sure that you're also knocking doors smart um smartly whatever that word is um one of the, I want to talk to you about the setter closer model. So you, you brought this up in kind of when I was asking you questions initially, and um, I want to hear like what do you think is um, the best way to set up a setter closer model in any market? So I got that was the very first uh, I guess model that I ran in in California with the company I started with. Um, they had a setter closer model in that they they didn't want to flood the rep with so much information. They wanted to kind of build their skill sets and essentially have another milestone for them to hit as they kind of have this growth in the solar game. So everybody started as a setter. 
uh, and then they had milestones based on volume, sits, and then closes. Initially, it was, hey, you get X amount of sits or X amount of RFPs, uh, and it has to be tied to closes before you can get promoted into a self-gen closer. Um, that model quickly went away um, because having the, the setter dependent on the closer being competent in, in sales was detrimental to a lot of our really high volume setters. So we quickly changed that to um, this is only dependent on your volume. Uh, how many appointments can you bring in? How many sits are you bringing us? And that was the only evaluation. And it was all this based on consistency. It was never based on who can put up the highest numbers. It was, can you be consistent over a 30-day period before we bring you into a self-gen closer? That self-gen closer was now responsible for his own appointments, so they weren't really jeopardizing somebody else's. Once they closed six sales in one month, then they were able to move into the recruiting standpoint. Can you not only close deals yourself, but can you recruit and bring on your own personal setter? And then it was just an evolution of that. Um, and what I've found is, and again, from trial and error, we also have people that are very good at just setting appointments. They're amazing at it, but sometimes aren't the best closers. Then we have some of the closers that aren't the very best lead generators. There's a very rare breed that can do both. Um, so that's kind of what I like about the setter closer model is if you can build the compensation plan where a setter is getting paid well just to set appointments, maybe they don't want to move into a closing role. Maybe they don't have to because the income is really great. Um, so like I mentioned, finding that somebody that can set and close is a very rare breed. Finding people, uh, I find a lot, a lot of people are either just a great closer or a great setter. Um, and that's kind of how we built our model as well. I agree 100%. I think setting is one of the most overlooked skills in, in the process. And I think a lot of companies that don't compensate setting well enough um, are, are really kind of missing the point because I think if you're able to get someone who is a complete rock star, I mean, you know, it's the, the results that you can get with a, a great setter is incredible. And if that setter is only doing that setting for themselves and they're not the best closer, then that's just, you're leaving money on the table. And, um, if, if you can figure out what everyone's strengths are and work to that, then that's obviously awesome. So one of the things that you mentioned is, um, I forget where you mentioned it, but you're, you're bilingual. You mentioned that um, you're, you're working, you're, you said in the Spanish community, uh, it's much more important to have that social proof. Um, and I agree. I, I think my, we're both, we both have experience in the solar Spanish, or the solar industry and the Spanish communities. And it's definitely something that is a little bit newer to them. Um, how, how else do you think Spanish is different than English? So when I first started in, in Austin, I was doing the inner communities of Austin. So um, a bar, I want to say a bunch of my sales were English speaking homeowners and they were very fluent. If they were bilingual, they would prefer English. It wasn't a start until I started working some of the outer markets where I started seeing a little bit more Hispanic driven communities. And what I found was I was having 
really, really great success with it because I could communicate. And I was kind of, kind of asking myself, why am I having more success in the Spanish speaking communities than uh, an English dominant speaking market, which is like literally next door. We're talking about a difference of maybe five miles from Austin to this, this specific city. And I started asking my customers like, hey, have you guys ever looked into solar before? They're like, yes, we've been looking into it for years. But every time that we asked for a Spanish speaking representative, they never had that rep available. So the communication barrier was something that was very lacking in, our, in at least the Austin region for some time. Um, so I benefited from all of that. I was English speaking, I was Spanish speaking, so I could leverage that, that communication piece. And, and it was simply built on trust. Um, what we hear a lot of, you know, about reviews, people don't typically write about good experiences you're more likely to write about your bad experiences on reviews. Um, you could have a phenomenal company, but every now and then you're going to have some angry person because they, they're more likely to write a bad review than a good review. So same thing with the, the Spanish community. They hear about the bad experiences. So of course, when they find somebody that can't effectively communicate with them, they, are, they have that wall built up. So when I was able to go in there and just say, hey, guys, I can communicate with you. I can answer these questions in Spanish. I can, you know, you can trust that I'm going to come back. And then you start slowly building that pipeline. And then the installs start coming in. And now I'm that community solar guy. Oh, all these installs? Yeah, I did those for your neighbors. And I did that for the community. And then that's where the referrals start coming in. Because I was that neighborhood solar guy. For that Hispanic community and that's what I really leverage but I think for the Spanish community it was number one the social proof number two is that that um, I could effectively communicate with them yeah I, for, for all all communities I mean all it's not necessarily race specific but one of the things that people seem the reason that solar has kind of this uh, reputation that we're all always trying to overcome which is Every single person who's ever run a solar ad knows that they're going to get comments that say, oh, this isn't real. Solar is a scam. And, and the reason for that is not like you could have 100 installs and 95 of them could be perfect. But the five that weren't perfect and those people feel um, misguided, they're going to be the ones that are the loudest. And that's kind of the reason that we have that reputation. And it's not only in this industry, it's in most industries, just because the people that are um, angry are more passionate and more vocal than the people that are completely satisfied. Um, with the Spanish community, one of the things that I've seen is uh, credit can be a challenge a lot of the time. Um, do you have any specific questions that you ask to try to figure out their credit, maybe if they don't know their score? No. So one of the things I learned early on, and this is coming from my days in California, is I, I learned never to prejudge. Because I was knocking in those high-end neighborhoods that multi-million dollar homes. And the guy has a Ferrari in, in, the, in the driveway and he sells credit. And then I've also, you know, ran into, you know, a kid that he had, is... He had, a, he had to get a crappy loan to pay for that Ferrari. <laughs> I mean, Sorry, that just wasn't funny. If it, right? So some, some people just don't build their credit. So like in his standpoint... He had a multi-million dollar home. He had the Ferrari, but he paid everything cash. So he didn't have credit history. 
And so it wasn't really, it wasn't really a fault to him. It's people that pay cash don't do that. Then I run into, you know, an 18 year old kid that has a torn up shirt and there's like, you know, greasy uh, stains on him because he's a mechanic. He has an 800 credit score. Right. So for me early on, I was that rep that prejudged, you know what, that, that looks like a crappy car in the driveway. I don't want to knock that house or, Ooh, they've got trash in there and they're, or they don't cut their grass. So that's not a good candidate. I just had to learn the hard way that don't prejudge. I just knock every home. I, my pre-qualification questions are always the same. Are you the homeowner on the title? Do you have the available roof space for this to make sense? Are you paying your taxes on time? And do you have a decent credit score? But more importantly, no major bankruptcies or large collections in the last seven years. If they answer yes to all of those, then I'm setting the appointment. Now I'm sitting down with them because at the end of the day, if they fail credit, what about their wife? What about their spouse? Or what about a co-signer? I'm never going to just leave that on the table. I've had multiple customers get a co-signer. I've had multiple, you know, hey, I don't have good credit, but my spouse does. Great. I'm not going to leave that on the table. So that for me is, is something I had to learn early on because I do feel that I early on in my career, I let a lot of sales slip by because I just didn't sit with that customer. Yeah, I definitely uh, don't, don't prejudge. I guess my, my, what I was trying to allude to is we, one of the things we've been encountering is a lot of people that don't know their credit score. Like what specific questions do you ask? And you just talked about it, obviously making sure they don't have any um, bankruptcies or anything major in the last history. Um, another one that uh, someone else has told us is like, Oh, make sure you ask them, make sure that they pay their, their bills on time. Make sure that they're like, are, are like get a feel for, for that and the response that way. Um, because a lot of times people that don't, know their credit i mean it is a shot in the dark where you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit but you have to ask certain questions to to get a feel for um, what might make sense but as long like you said those four questions as long as they check those boxes then uh it's worth your time to proceed um because even if a percentage of them anywhere even near like 50 percent of those work out that's still super profitable um for anybody how do you overcome or I guess I shouldn't say how do you overcome. Recently, we have been having experiences on our end with um, spousal objections. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with kind of the virtual uh, necessity where if the, the spouse isn't there for the presentation, um, then the it's easier for them to say no. Um, have, you, have you had any recent surges of the spousal objection? Or have how do you overcome the spousal objection? So, I mean, this is a lot more common in our virtual consultations. It's the husband set up the appointment. So the husband is the one available. Um, even though literally the call center called them and saying, hey, when's a good time for you and your spouse? And they confirmed that appointment and we confirmed them 24 hours in advance. And it's still one person on the consultation. Um, so what I've been doing more of late has been asking Hey, when can I follow up with you? Because, and, and I always have to relate to something that they understand, right? The last thing we want you to do is try to explain how complicated solar is to your spouse. So let's do this. Let me run through the, the topics of, of solar and how they work. And then we'll set up another time for me to sit down with both you and your spouse. Does that sound fair? Um, that's one of the things. So it's not so much a one call close. It's more of a two, two call close. 
and that has been a little bit more effective. Um, but it also goes into how effective is your rep on the follow-up game. I have had reps that never follow up. I have reps follow up until they literally get told a no. If, the, uh, if there's not a no in the conversation or I'm not going somewhere, I'm not interested, they keep following up every week until that lead dies. And one of the things that I learned, even from a brand new rep who's been only in the industry for three weeks, he's like, hey, if they're still answering my texts, then it's game on. I was like, man, I've been doing this six years and you're absolutely right. If they're responding to my texts or my phone calls, yeah, they're still game. Yeah, that's, so what if they're not responding to your texts? Are they not game? Um, pretty much, right? So, so the last thing I want to do is beat a dead horse, right? So if they're not responding after, you know, an email, phone call, text messages over, you know, two, three week period, then maybe I should be redirecting those efforts to other, you know, avenues. Because we're always going to have that, you know, um, re-engagement campaigns where three months down the line or, you know, even 30 days down the line, we'll just send a mass text and say, hey, guys, it sounds interested in solar for the house. The last time we had this conversation with you, you were saving 30 bucks a month. Um, and then that's also a way for us to throw in a little uh, promotion. Hey, if you, we would love to earn your business. So what we're willing to do is pay for the six for the first six months of your solar payment. Would that be enough to earn your business today? And if they respond, boom, done. On to the next one. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's um, something that we've talked about with several people. Uh, having the the systems to master that follow up process, but you have to make sure that you have. It automated as much as possible when it gets to that point where if you have a, you want to have a list of all the people that you know were maybe they weren't interested at the time maybe they just ghosted you but you're able to reach out to them when you do have those special offers which I, I put them in air quotes because they're not always uh, necessarily that special but the customer doesn't know that and that's kind of the whole point is that you're able to use that to create a sense of urgency another example is coming up at the end of the year obviously the federal tax credits are, are going down and saying telling people like hey if you're if you think that you're going to go solar in the future, like there is no reason not to go now. Like this is the absolute best time and you're losing money if you wait any longer and using any type of urgency that we can create to push more people and reactivate more people and to do it in a systemized manner. And that's the great thing about text messages. It's the great thing about emails. It's the great thing about voicemails. If done properly and not abused, if you do voicemail drops, um, is that you can scale and you can send 500 pretty easily. Um, and if you can do that, then you can get uh, many more leads into your, or many more leads reactivated and into your pipeline so you can book more appointments. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate you, you taking the time. Uh, you obviously have had a lot of success and you, you've had a lot of experience and you're, um, you're crushing it, man. I, I, I just greatly appreciate you sharing your insights with me and any of the dozens and dozens of people that stumble onto the videos and or the podcast. Um, if anyone was watching this or listening to this and they wanted to be able to reach out to you um, to ask any questions or get your advice on something, like what would be the best way that they would be able to do that? Sure. Uh, so a lot of the time people reach out to me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. It's pretty effective the way to get, uh, get in touch with me. And I'm never one to kind of turn down somebody that has a question, except if it's Taylor Wynn. Taylor, you should know this information already. Um, but anybody that ever has questions about Texas or anything, feel free to reach me, uh, reach out versus um, via 
Facebook Messenger. I'd be happy to have that conversation anytime. Awesome. Poor Taylor, man. He has to, it's, I guess it's, he hopefully already knows it so that he doesn't have any questions. Uh, once again, man, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I, and, uh, well, Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for making it to the end of my little podcast here. That means you're one of the dozens and dozens of true supporters, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, I think if you made it all the way to the end, that means that you at least didn't hate the episode. Um, so I, I greatly appreciate that you uh, made it all the way through. And uh, since you're one of our dozens of supporters, I would love if you could go ahead and hit that subscribe button hit that follow button or whatever platform you're on. Maybe go ahead and give us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. We appreciate that you tuned in to listen and we look forward to you listening again soon.